yeah, I just feel like I got a lot of catching up to do. So that's why I'm, I'm ambitious. And also it's like, it's a really important time to understand the tools that we have, I think. We're like, we're, I feel like we're in a battle right now between to do what's productive and right in society and remaining ignorant to the tools and just like giving over our power as a people to, to just like the elite minority. So the only way we're going to be able to have any power over it is that we have to understand what's going on and we have to like stand up for, for what we know is right. And if we don't know anything, then we, we have no argument. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today is part two of my two-part conversation with first-year MMT activist Katrina Pilver about how she discovered the importance of economics and then MMT in her unusually intensive and ambitious journey to learn MMT more deeply. At the end of our interview, you will hear a brief follow-up where, given that she's only been at this for around five months, she gives a pretty sophisticated summary of the MMT design job guarantee and why she believes it's important for newbies to understand. A full introduction, including links to lots of resources, can be found before part one. But for now, let's get right back to my conversation with Katrina Pilver. I don't blame you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So back back to MMT. So you were talking about Friedman. So uh, you were talking about, yeah, so just if you can. Yeah. So since my friend, you know, like if you want people to be open-minded to you, I think someone said this to me in the group once because I was like, uh, like whatever groups that, oh, the Cato Institute. They were like, oh, here's the article from the Cato Institute. And I was like, oh, the Cato Institute. And they were like, well, you know, you have to keep an open mind. Because we expect them to have an open mind. And I was like, yeah, you know, you're right. I'll read the article. So You know the Cato Institute, right? I'm pretty sure. The Cato Institute is, yeah, the Cato Institute was, um, it has to do with like James McGill Buchanan and the whole it, it was neoliberal created, movement. It was originally called the Coke, the Coke something. Oh, the, right. The original just, name, I think, was, was the it? Coke whatever. It yeah. is created by Charles Coke. I just finished reading Cokeland like two days ago. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know I mentioned this, and but but uh, Democracy in Chains. That's what I read I that. About. Yep. Oh, I you read, read it. Wow. I, yep. Uh, they It was suggested in the group, the newbies By group. me. By me. And, um, and I read it. And then after I read it, I immediately went and bought Cokeland because I was like, oh. like, Coke. Copeland is like they go with with democracy and chains they go like they're perfect like companion books oh i'm so glad you read that so tell me copeland copeland is just like the it's it's like the continuation of democracy and chains as Mm. far as i can see so give me a brief uh, reaction to democracy and chains that's the first time i'm hearing um scary like it's scary and explains so much it really does. Like it mm. explains a lot of what's going on. Like I was saying, like I'm like 
I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Where are these people getting all these tropes from? Why do they think this? Why are they always complaining about stuff, but never have never giving solutions? Mm-hmm. And that book really explains like from the very beginning, who's in, con- who's in control and mm-hmm. what their, their end goal is to take all the power away from the government and make it seem like the government can't do anything to help people. Like, make it seem like the government can only mess things up. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's how they, they... But that's how they get people to, like, go along with what they want. But at the same time, they're also not opposed to just making sure that the, the will of the people is not heard. Like, mm-hmm. suppressing people's votes. Like, it talked about the massive resistance that happened during was it like the late 50s early 60s when they tried to like desegregate and they started claiming states rights and they shut down all the schools in Mm, virginia right for like five years yep like eat like like killer mike was saying in that video like even the poor white people couldn't go to school Mm -hmm. because they shut all the schools down because they didn't want the government to be able to pay for public education Mm mm-hmm it's just like stuff like that. And then it's just, I don't know, it's just crazy to think. Like they've just infiltrated every aspect of our society. Oh, I'm so glad you read the book. I'm so glad you read the book. That's great. That's great. And and I'm sure you noticed, you must have noticed, the author did not know MMT. No. Oh, Nancy McLean. <laughs> did you, you, you got that? You must have gotten that. I mean, if, yeah, no. I mean, I pretty much assume when I'm reading most things that the person doesn't know about MMT. But, but yeah, I mean, they never mentioned MMT. I talked about that book briefly for maybe a half hour um, on a recent episode. And uh, I brought it up that she didn't know MMT. The reason that it's important in this particular book is because she buys the argument that taxes pay for stuff. Yeah. And that's the primary justification used by these monsters yes. for every yep. horrible thing they want to do. And she buys the argument. So it's like, you know, the book is amazing. I mean, the book is absolutely amazing. Could I can't, you know, it's highly recommended, obviously. But if she knew MMT, it would have been way more powerful, even more. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, but it's still, it's like such a great illustration of what is going on and why the, and why there are so many misconceptions. Mm-hmm. And also why, why the purpose, the, why it's important to, tax besides the fact that it gives money value and all that it's important to tax the rich because they have too much power mm-hmm. like these people were able to infiltrate like so many aspects of society because of because they have they just have way too much power and influence mm-hmm. well it's great that you read that so though so that led you to Cokeland, and then you were you were working your way to friedman i think so friedman oh yeah so, um, and Cato, we got distracted. I got distracted. Yeah, we got distracted by the Kate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, my friend was like, why don't you read some Milton Friedman? So, I had, I did know Thomas Sowell. I did go through like a little period where I was listening to him, watching his YouTube videos or whatever. But so, Milton Friedman, I was like, I like everyone always talks about Milton Friedman. I've seen like clips of him before and stuff he's talking about. And I read Democracy in Chains. So, they mentioned Milton Friedman. And like, I knew the ideology from there, but I was like, let me give Milton Friedman a shot just to see what he has to say, see where these people are coming from. And like some other people mentioned in that group, um, Milton Friedman is like tame compared to James Buchanan from Mm -hmm. Democracy in Chains. Mm -hmm. So I was like, maybe they're not that bad because this is like the tame version. So I went and I, I found... Yeah, I found the 10-part series. I think it was called Public Choice. Okay. Each episode was like an hour, and he talked about a different thing, like about schooling or about trade or about inflation or whatever. So I I started watching that. It took me like maybe two or three days to get through mm-hmm. the whole thing. You just binged it. Um, I binged it. And the, <laughs> the thing I liked about it was at the end of each episode, they actually had like open dialogue with other people that didn't agree with him. So I thought that was great. If it like if it hadn't had that at the end, I would have felt like it was a little it was more uh like I don't want to use the word Propaganda. evil. 
But yeah, I'm glad they had that at the end of each episode. But I could see where people were getting their ideas now. And I also could see like the flaws in the logic, knowing about MMT, that a lot of his things he were saying were based on like false assumptions. Okay. And I don't like, he was a very smart guy, obviously. And not all his points are bad. I mean, there is something to be said for like the government having too much oversight and control over things. Like you do need like some checks and balances, but a lot of his things he was saying was just based on false assumptions. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm glad I watched it. I did, before I watched it, I had ordered like a couple books from the bookstore. And then after watching it, I kind of felt like I didn't want to, I didn't need to read them anymore, but I wanted to like, I felt bad for ordering them. So I bought them anyways. (laughs) So we'll see if I ever read them. (laughs) Well, okay. I have have a a few questions about this. First, what, what, uh, how did you respond to your friend that said for you to read them? I didn't mention to her that I had went and did that, but actually one of the other members of the newbies group was like, Hey, I can like explain things to her if you want. And I'm like, you know, it's open. It's like my, the post is open. It's like public. So if you want to go on there and like say something to explain, like, that'd be great, you know? So she actually went on there and explained what I was saying. And it was nice to have someone else come on and say something because to everybody else, I kind of look like a crazy person because, like, no one's ever heard this stuff before. Where, in what context are you, are you talking about? Like, in my circles, like my friends. Okay. Like, my Facebook friends or like my childhood friends that, like, I don't really see anymore, but I see, I talk to them on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like, they've, they've never heard this. So, when I'm on here pu- putting this stuff, I don't know if they think it's like a conspiracy theory or if I'm being indoctrinated or yes. whatever. <laughs> so, to have like another person come on and be able to su- succinctly explain the same thing I'm saying, it's like nice to have that backup. Okay. And um, I just tried to like explain what I was trying to say and explain where she was wrong a little bit. And she never replied to anything I said there. She just like ran away after that. Nah. <laughs> but I mean, well, I didn't tell her that I watched the 10 hour thing. I just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I watched the 10 hour thing and it didn't change my mind. So I don't know. Okay. So that was my, <laughs> that was my next question. Uh, what, you know, you, you watch soul before you ever heard of, I mean, MMT long before you ever right. heard of MMT. Yep. Mm-hmm. So why is MMT convincing and soul and freedom Friedman are not? Uh, I think because like I said, Friedman, a lot of his things I noticed were based on some false assumptions like that just printing money causes inflation. And it's not the printing the money that causes inflation. And I would have had to go back and like write stuff down. I have my, I'm not going to be able to remember exactly. No, like I just, I just points, want a feeling. I just want a feeling yeah, of why MMT. It just has- seem, it just seems like MMT is more concrete. It's like the, my boyfriend actually asked me this question, like the other, maybe last week he was like, there's so much stuff out there. Like, how do you know when you're reading a book or when you're, listening to these people talk, like, how do you know that they're not wrong? Because like next week, someone else could say something. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's true. Maybe next week, I'll learn something new. And I'll be like this, you know, this is more right. And maybe I was wrong before. But I was like, but in this case, the reason that I feel confident that it's true is, number one, Warren Mosler he has like inside information. Like he worked in banking and like you can go back and verify it. You know what I mean? Like he told a story about one day he was working and they accidentally, I think, I don't remember if it was the central bank. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. They they pressed an extra couple zeros or something like that, right? Yeah, they accidentally deposited like 300 
thousand dollars or maybe it was three hundred million dollars. Yeah. I don't know. It was yep. like a lot of money they accidentally deposited and they did it because they accidentally hit the triple zero. Yep. When they when they and this is like the this is like the central bank of the United States that did it. And then he had to like walk them through undoing what they did. Mm-hmm. And like you can go back and find videos of Ben Bernanke saying this is not this is not taxpayer money. The government spends this money by hitting um, buttons on a keyboard. Mm -hmm. And then you can go and look and you can find graphs that show no correlation between the, the money supply and circulation and, and, uh, inflation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, not, not only is it verifiable that way, and there are a lot of economists now that if they, if they went and verified it, now they're on board. They're like, yeah, that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. But also, if you think, if you go back and think about it, it makes, I mean, it makes sense now that like just having a lot of money is not going to cause inflation if it's just sitting there not doing anything. Right. Uh, a while ago, you said something to the effect of it's understandable. It's like understandable by actual people. Like where yes. Krugman said, oh, sure, of course, of course, nice things are possible. Dot, 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 dot. But he didn't explain how. Right. And then Kelton <laughs> says, of course, nice things are possible. And this is how, and this is how, and this is how. And it's yes, understandable exactly. by you. It's understandable by you and me, average people, and that we can go and actually confirm the intricate details of what she's talking about. Yeah. On and one our of the. Own. Yeah. So, so I, it goes back to that it is understand the fact that it is understandable by actual people. Where that's you know with 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 Krugman, obviously that's not possible because you have no idea what he's even talking about to even start that journey. Yes, it's de- it demystifies it. I feel like before they tried to, it's I don't know. It seemed like they tried purposely to make it seem like opaque and mysterious. Mm-hmm. So you. So you were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how this stuff works. Let's let these people deal with it. Right. And now they've like broken it down and and made it and explained it in a way that's verifiable. And like um, even Stephanie Kelton had said that she didn't believe it at first. She was like, no, no, that can't be the way it works. Mm-hmm. And then they sent her to go to like, I don't know if she went to talk to people at the central bank or where she went somewhere in like the banking system to verify that this is how it works. And she did it. And she was like, yeah, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So it's like, th- these are things that people verified by actually going and checking it out and talking to people that like run that system instead of just making assumptions and guesses. And now my understanding now is that a lot of the economics before or macroeconomics is is based on assumptions that that don't uh, correlate to things that people actually do in real life. John Harvey has a great quote, uh, and I'm sure I believe he's quoting somebody else where or he says, uh, uh, "Mainstream economists, you know, uh, post-Keynesian economists, which is a you know like a sort of kind of a larger part of where MMT comes from, they go out." And when they want to understand, if you want to understand horses, you actually go out and you observe and you, you know, ride and whatever horses. Mm-hmm. Mainstream economists, neoclassical economists go into their office and they and sit in their chairs and they say, hmm, what would I do if I was a horse? Yes, yes, exactly. So that's what you were saying, like making assumptions. Yeah, well, and, I and, feel, I, and I feel like Stephanie Kelton, they actually go to the stable and they see the horses and what the horses are doing and what the horses eat and then what like how it affects the horses instead this this is is called uh i mean this is a uh there's there's you know hands-on it's it's uh what do you call it there's a term for like hands-on and hands-on evidence i can't think of the term at the moment but this is institution it's called institutionalism where you you understand institutions by going out to those institutions and you know interviewing people and observing for yourself and that's that's the institutional aspect of of mmt I learned that from John Harvey, from his book, actually. I love John Harvey. He's so entertaining. He's one of the, I think maybe before I got to read the book, he's one of the people that I would go and, uh, I would go and uh, look up his YouTube videos and like Mm. listen to them in Mm. order and post them sometimes to my page because they were funny. He's great. (laughs) Yeah, he's great. 
yeah, he's great. And he has a book that I want. I have to, when I get through these books, I, um, he has a book called contending perspectives on economics that Mm -hmm. I want to read just to get a better overall perspective on other people's viewpoints. It is really good. I have read the first three, four, I read, I read four chapters of it. I read the first three on mainstream and then I read the post Keynesian one actually in preparation for, for interviewing him a long time ago. It's a really good book. And uh, if you want a insane challenge, uh, his other textbook, whoa, holy cow, really amazing. But it took a lot of, a lot of preparation to actually, you, you'll probably a good place to start is, is an interview that I did with him. And then uh, uh, he wrote another book on foreign. Exchange. I might have listened to it. Did you? Um, did you do only rate. one interview with him? Yeah, I think no, I did done, listen to it. I've done two. Oh, one, one was a while ago. One was a while ago on inflation. It was just on kind of basic on inflation. The newer, yeah. the newer one was on uh, exchange rates, exchange rate determination. I think that I did listen. Yeah, because that's kind of where I am more now is the exchange, trying to figure out the whole exchange rate thing. Because when people are like, it devalues the currency, mm-hmm. I'm starting to realize that that's not even the right word, first of all, mm-hmm. but also that it's not uh, that like the exchange rate is kind of like a speculative thing. It's mm-hmm. not even, it doesn't even, it's not really affected by how much money there is. It seems to yeah. me at this point, yeah. I'm still learning, but. That, that was such, yeah, that was <laughs> such an adventure. Yeah. Preparing for that interview. It's it, uh, exchange rate determination was his, his textbook, uh, cur- currencies, capital flows and crises is so enlightening, but it's not easy. It's not yeah, I'm going to have to. It took me like three months of like reading on mainstream and whatever, like, but, but I also chose to read the chapter where he says, you don't even, I don't even know why you read it. It's not even, you don't even need to read it. It's extra. And that was the uh-huh. chapter I really banged my head over. I would do didn't. that too, though. Yeah. Well, I, then good, I think... because I have all the information of my journey to, to get my head around reading this book, including that chapter. There's yeah. like a series of like, there's a series of six interviews. It's really kind of just dived in. Uh, before I'm going to have to add that one to my list. Um, but I have, after I finished debt, the first 5,000 years by mm. David Graeber, which I've been like really looking forward to reading this. I was mm-hmm. like, Oh God, I got to finish this Copeland book so I can like get to that. But wow, after that, <laughs> yeah. And I never used to read a lot of books to be honest. Not, I mean, I'd read a book every once in a while, but like, I'm really like, this is like the most books I've ever read in this short of a period of time. And I'm excited about it. And mm. my next book after this, I'm going to do the macroeconomics textbook, the wow. Bill Mitchell one, which wow. I expect, I expect me to be banging my head against the wall with that, but it's, that'll probably take me a while. <laughs> it's no, it's, it's the kind of thing where you're just gonna have to let a lot of, a lot of stuff just roll off. And then, you'll yeah. come, and then you'll come back. There's, but there, I'll you'll, come back to it. You'll pick up plenty. You'll pick up plenty. Or you, I'll be really annoying in the MMT for newbies group. Uh, the, like, I, can someone explain this to me? <laughs> I look, for, I look forward to those questions. No, that, that'll it's be going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but it's a good, it's a good challenge at your stage. It's a, it's a very good challenge. It's a very appropriate book to read. Yeah. Because I feel like this, I mean, this economic stuff, this is like what it's all about. I wish I would have known sooner like it just seems like the it just seems like the thing that gets in the way of anything happening is Mm -hmm. if you don't understand it you can't you can't stand up for what you want or what you think is right because somebody will be like oh well you can't have that you can't do that because if you do that you're like stealing from somebody else Mm -hmm. and that shuts down the whole conversation and we're just having the wrong conversation Mm -hmm. you know so I mean, that's all. I just think it's normal. So, and I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to explain it to people and, and also to have to explain to people like MMT is not saying that you can, that you can create as much money as you want with no consequence. That's so it's, silly. It's just it's, such a... Yeah. It's just saying that it's a tool that you have, that if you have the resources available to you, you can spend the money to to utilize those resources as long as you're not overspending past the productive capacity. Mm-hmm. I'm probably like phrasing that all wrong, but no, it sounds, sounds reasonably close to me. It's like, yeah. it's kind of like saying, you know, here's fire and 
and it has lots of power. It has, you know, we can whatever use it for, you know, pushing cars and trucks and planes and so on. And so it's like the fear of, well, everything's going to burn down. If we have fire, everything's going to burn down. That's the same kind of, you know. Yeah. So don't use, don't use the fire because it might burn something down. So let's never use fire. Right. Exactly. (laughs) It's like miraculously we figure out how to not burn everything down after discovering fire, but yet I trust myself, but I don't trust those people to do, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they need boundaries. They need, they need, they need boundaries because they're going to screw everything up, you know, hyperinflation or whatever, burn everything down with fire. Um, But I'm okay. But I, I wouldn't do that. You know, it's something, something kind of related to that. Yeah. I heard another, uh, I heard an economist, I don't remember which one on the podcast. He, he, the metaphor he used was if you exercise really hard, you could like pass out and you could suffer like uh, dehydration and you could pass out, but you still exercise, you know, you don't mm-hmm. just, you don't stop exercising. You just don't exercise to the point where you suffer from dehydration and pass out. Right. That's like what it is. You exercise because it's good for you. Right. You, you, you know, you, you don't drink to the point of drowning and you've somehow figured that out. Yes. Like you need, it's, you need to do it. And I don't know, it's just, it seems so obvious now, especially that let's say, for example, like over the years, the population increases. If, if there's no money spent in at some point, there's more people than there is money. Mm-hmm. So new money has to be created Hmm. because we're not on the gold standard. I mean, it's not like people aren't going out and like digging up money from the ground. It's something that's created. Mm -hmm. That's just what it is. Right. You've picked up a good amount in the little time that you've been doing this. Thanks. I didn't realize. (laughs) Like I didn't, I mean, I, I know there's like so much more to learn still. Mm -hmm. I still, I still feel sometimes like I feel pretty confident, but I still feel sometimes like, what if I'm missing like a really big piece of the puzzle? Of course you are. And (laughs) you know, of course I am. Yeah. (laughs) But I just, I don't know. I just want to learn as much as I can. What's your list of things that you're looking for? And actually, if I may, can you, when we're done, can you give a list of, of, the big stuff that you can recall. On the- yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. I'll, I'll list out like all my books and podcasts and stuff that I found that, that I can cool. think and, of. Um, but yeah, so, so what's, what's on your list now? Um, I'm, well, I'm reading Debt, The First 5,000 Years with David Graeber. Okay. And then I plan on doing the macroeconomics textbook next. That's going to be... And, be a good and then, week or so if you yeah and then i really want to get some of those papers like you mentioned like the warren mosler papers mm-hmm. um like i have the milton friedman books but i'm probably not gonna read them anytime soon because <laughs> i'd rather read other stuff but um i also have a book that my friend gave me because when i i went to swap the stephanie kelton book with her she gave me a book about fdr Hmm. And I kind of want to read that because I feel like it's fitting for the time to go back and read. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's a big book and I'm not <laughs> sure if I'd rather just read more MMT stuff. But the two things right now that I'm most focused on is the debt, the first 5,000 years and the macroeconomics book. And I'm really excited to read debt because it, it should explain the, the origins of money. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really just going to like kind of burn down the other, the other side's arguments about like debt and money as far as it being something that, I don't know, just the way, the way people think about it is like, it's something that just like exists out of nowhere that just like rich people have and they just give it to us. Like they just give it to the government. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not that at all. And I don't know how to explain it succinctly, but hopefully with this book, I will be able to <laughs> explain it better. That's really ambitious. Both of those are very ambitious. Obviously, I mean, much of what you've done is, is very ambitious. Did you read this book? That I read the first seven chapters. That's a good start. That's a good start. 
Do you get do you get like, distracted? <laughs> do you get distracted from books easily? Uh, no, I, I happened to read that one while I was working. So I only had little pieces. I only had little chunks of time here and there. So it was really hard to read it in that kind of context. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I can I can sit down and read pretty focused and you know pretty long stuff if I if I if I want to. Um, that one just happened to not work out as far as where I was at at the time, but it's great. I mean, obviously, it's very important. Yeah, he seemed like a really interesting guy. It's a shame. Uh, it's a shame that he passed away of so recently. Yeah, of course. And I just discovered him. Yeah. Um, I read the first, uh, as part of my journey towards John's uh, exchange rate determination book, I read, I mean, I already kind of read some of it, but I mean, you know, again, you can read, you read stuff again and again, and, and you will get different stuff out of it. So I read the macroeconomics, like the first, I want to say like 17 chapters or something. And then I skipped to go ahead to the full employment stuff, the job guarantee stuff uh, in preparation for some of the pre-interviews for the, the exchange rates. So, you know, I, I can, I can focus pretty well if, if I have the time to do so. So hopefully I, I will have a little bit of time. I actually, I have an interview set up in a month. What's today, a month and like a week with the uh, authors of the UX, UKX checker. You know, they wrote a paper on the UKX checker. Basically Stephanie Kelton wrote her do taxes and bonds, finance government spending, which is the book, which is the paper that she wrote starting out skeptical skeptical of Warren Mosler that you had mentioned mm-hmm. that was the paper as re, that was the result of that that's a hard paper it's not an easy paper i read that pretty early on it, it i got important stuff out of it but then i read it again like a year or two later a year and a half later and it I made got, more sense it made way more sense but it was yeah. still a really good thing to read <laughs> so i wrote I, so so uh these three people in england wrote basically the companion paper to that for the uk and I'm interviewing them next month, and it's like 150 pages. Oh wow! So I got that. That's like my next kind of big reading project, preparation for that. Um, so anyway, so you were asking about focusing on long stuff. I can I can definitely read long stuff. I I really am get distracted easily, to be honest. So the fact that I'm I I usually before I would read like I would like to read magazines because I mm. could read like an article and then. After that, I'd be distracted. But even now with reading the books, I I find myself like rereading the same paragraph a few times because I'll start, I'll read it and then I'll start thinking about something related to what they're saying, like something a friend sent to me or something I saw in a thing and I'll start thinking about that. And before I know it, I'm like reading, I'm simultaneously like reading the words in the book and thinking about something completely different. And I'll finish the paragraph and realize that I have no idea what the words I was just reading meant. I was just so well. So the, it's, <laughs> the, well, obviously, whatever you do works for you because you're getting so it, through incredible yeah. amount of I'm, content. I'm getting better at concentrating. So that's also like don't be dis- don't be discouraged if you have to read the paragraph four times. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I do it. I have to admit the democracy in chains. Not that it was hard, but it had a lot of dates. <laughs> It had a lot of dates and names and I had to reread that a lot because I would get confused with the dates and the names and the Mm. names of the companies and stuff like that. I would get, I would have to go back and reread, but sometimes it's just, my brain will just wander off and start thinking about like related topics Okay, and I'll just have to start over. It's, you know, I mean, some people, some people don't have that problem, but some people do and that, and that's okay. It, it obviously works for you because I mean the way you summarize the book and the details that you said obviously you you got it so yeah I just keep reading the paragraphs until I uh, <laughs> until I'm able to focus on what it's saying okay so so you have a, a debt and then the textbook and anything anything else big on your list um I don't have anything concrete right now I have been writing down I don't know where my little bookmark went but I want to read the the contending perspectives that John T. Harvey mm-hmm. thing and I want to read the Warren Mosler like I just I want to read like not all I don't know how many papers he has but I want to read well like, so the, the 70AF is a book it's only 70 pages and half of yes. it is, half of it is is uh, biogra- biographical yeah so I want to read that and I want to read the white paper 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's I'm not sure. two pages. Okay, perfect. It's an outline. But it's I, not even a paper, really. I know. I just wish I had a printer because I don't. I don't want to read them. I, I want to read them on a piece of paper. You know, like oh, I need to hold it in my hands. Oh, I'm and, so with you. Yeah. Yeah. I can't stand reading on electricity. So I'm going to either order those or print them out. But I'm going to wait until I finish these because these are pretty like hefty books. So. Oh yeah. Although I do think it's a little bit good to get some, to have like a little bit of a pile. Because I feel like it motivates me to be like, I got to get through this so I can get to the next one Okay. when I have them, physically have them. But it maybe it would be good to have like the short ones and keep them in my purse or something. So when I'm, when I'm stuck somewhere like waiting to pick something up or whatever, I can read it. That is a very interesting thing to have in a lady's purse, academic, MMT academic papers. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. It's a good thing to have in there. Why not? <laughs> I try to surround myself with what I'm trying to learn. So, uh, like I said, like, like I started a Twitter and I only followed economists and like one friend. I was like, I'm not going to put any, I don't want any pop culture or anything on here. Mm -hmm. If I go in here, I only want to see like what economists are talking about because that's what I'm interested in. And I feel like you can absorb information without like trying too hard that way that's a good way of doing it the all only thing i do on my mmt account is just mmt stuff it's a smart way of doing it yeah i agree um so uh okay so so i I, my my thought is basically everything you've said is you really haven't read much academic yet it doesn't seem like it so it's like a whole new world you're gonna i think you're gonna find like it'll go, it'll be much more narrow, but much deeper. I think, yeah. I think you're going to find it really interesting. Like, like you may, you may be interested in uh, like, if you want a challenge, like mm-hmm. the one, the ones that I recommended that the, I sent you the page of like the introduction ones, those are, you know, wonderful. I highly recommend them. But if you want a challenge to get a little bit in the deep end, consider reading Stephanie's 1998 paper. Yeah. So I think that sounds good. I think that's probably what I'm going to do after I get through these two books is probably just try to get as many of those papers as I can and just like read those for a while. Yeah. The the Kelton one is a challenge. You're you're going to have to skip over, like just allow probably at least a third or a half of it just to like, I don't understand that, whatever. Yeah, um, and then I'll probably come back to it later and with better understanding at some point, hopefully. <laughs> I did. Yeah, a year and a half later. But it but it was good because actually I'll tell you, the when I read that paper is I I was intimidated. It all of a sudden it made me realize that accounting was a huge part of this. Mm-hmm. And it was really intimidating, like, oh, I have to learn accounting now. But that's yeah. that's really not it. It's just it, uh, now I know it's really just T tables and, and the sectoral balance. That's pretty much it. And it's not, that's not hard. Um, so anyway. Uh, I don't know. I remember at what point this was, but at some point I did try to, you know how online sometimes you can go and they get, there's like courses that they're not like good courses, but it's just like some guy and he has like, he shows you the screen and he'll like draw stuff out. There was like one for banking. I don't know the site, but, I think they're they're like companions for like if you're trying to learn stuff at home, you can like go if not if you're trying to learn stuff at home, but like if you're literally in like a college course, mm-hmm. these are like companion videos where you go and find them and it'll be like a professor teaching you about like balances or banking. Mm-hmm. I found one that was for banking and I was trying to do like basically what you're saying, like learn about the accounting and the sectoral balances and it was like too soon for me because mm-hmm. I was like and it was too dry. It was like you know, really dry. I can but recommend I feel one. Like, <laughs> I, I can I feel recommend like one. I, I haven't done it myself, but I, I actually bought the book so I could do it. Uh-huh. I haven't gotten around to it yet. What's his name? Uh, oh, darn it. What's his name? I bought the book. I have it. I'll put it in the show notes and I'll, and I'll tell you. Uh, there is a very good banking course that I understand. He's not MMT, but from a banking point of view, it's very, an accounting point of view, it's really, really good. Uh, it's a whole like, it's a, a full course. I mean, it's like, a, yeah, no, that would be good because yeah. I feel like I want to learn like all of that stuff. Cause I'm getting to the point where I have, I feel like I have the really good overview of it. And that's, 
like there's nowhere else to go but into like the little details now mm-hmm. yeah all right cool wow uh wow <laughs> okay you know i don't know i don't know what else what do you think uh needs to be said that hasn't been said or or what do you think um i don't know i or advice you I, have for other people in your position i mean the advice I have is just, I feel like this is just really important, first of all. Like, I feel like it's really important for the general population, like regular people, to understand, at least on a basic level, the the tools that we have to help us. Like, and this is, uh, that's what this is all about, as far as I can see right now, is it's easy for people to understand and it's not, it's not taking money, stealing money and using that to pay for stuff. Like if we could just get past that for the general population, we could be having much more productive conversations. It just shuts down the conversation. So I feel like people just need to understand like the basic tools that we have available to us. And that most of the things that are preventing us from being productive as a society right now are just policy choices. And um, as far as tips, I say, like, just immerse yourself in, you're not going to understand everything, but if you just immerse yourself in it, like, surround yourself with the people that know about the subject matter and try and find books and watch lectures and podcasts and stuff like that. Like you'll start absorbing the stuff and like, you know, light bulbs will go on and it'll lead you down different paths and just like spread the word. That's, (laughs) that's it. Wow. Great. Uh, okay. Wow. Um, cool. (laughs) I mean, this is like you, you told your journey. I mean, really you're, and you're like in the middle of it. It's unusual. Like, like most of the people I talk with are relatively, you know, they're they're farther along, they're farther along. Um, you know, so you're, it's interesting to hear it from the person who is you're in it right now. I mean, you're, you're much more ambitious than I think quite a lot of people. Um, yeah, I just feel like I got a lot of catching up to do. So that's why I'm, I'm ambitious. And also it's like, it's a really important time to understand the tools that we have. I think we're like, we're, I feel like we're in a battle right now between to do what's productive and right in society and remaining ignorant to the tools and just like giving over our power as a people to, to just like the elite minority. So the only way we're going to be able to have any power over it is that we have to understand what's going on and we have to like stand up for, for what we know is right. And if we don't know anything, then we, we have no argument. Right. Um, okay. A small question. And then, and then uh, I'll close out with a bigger one. Um, number one, you said a while ago, you said basically Friedman was, I don't remember the word you used, but you basically said something like Friedman was kind of more mundane or mundane sounding than... He was more tame, I think. Tame was the word. He was tame compared to... Buchanan. Buchanan. Like Buchanan, like maybe Milton Friedman actually had the best interests of people in general at heart. I don't know. James Buchanan, he didn't care about... the people, the general population, the majority of the population. He was trying to protect an elite minority and everyone else, it was like, let the chips fall where they may. I think that was like a line from the book. Let the chips fall where they may. If you end up with nothing, if you end up dead, he didn't care. (laughs) I think I would, I think, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I I don't know, but my instinct actually says that that's not correct. And that, they're both monsters, except Friedman just created the academic tools and the academic justification for Buchanan and the other and those other Koch, you know, Koch brothers and whatever to do the monstrous things that they wanted to do. That's possible. My so, my my boyfriend would agree with you. Okay. 
when I was watching the series, he was like, he was like, that guy seems like a monster. He just seems like an evil guy. And I was like, I don't know. You know, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Maybe that's a, not a good thing, but. Uh, no, it's like, you know, academic justification. They get to sound, they get to sound tame and mundane and, and neutral and, you know, mm-hmm. sounding apolitical, but it, they're the ones that create the tools that justify the actions taken by the true monsters. Yeah. So, um, okay. Uh, my other question, and this will be, uh, you can, I'll close out with this question. It's kind of weird, but I don't care. I'm interested. Um, okay. You have dived into this, mm-hmm. like to an unusual degree among the stories that I'm aware of. I'm wondering if there are other subjects previous in your life where you dived to this extent. Oh yeah. I, um, I mean, uh, not about everything, but like, so the last thing I probably did this with was like plant-based eating. <laughs> <laughs> like I recently, um, like, so me and my boyfriend, we have that restaurant. It's a soul food restaurant. So it's like, you know, ribs and fried chicken. And I actually spent the last like year or so trying to convert like as much of the items as I could to vegan items. But like before I was more interested in like the environment and, and food. And I really spent a lot of time. I did kind of like the same thing where I would listen to like all the lectures and read books about the way like animal proteins affect our body. Like I read the China study. I don't know if you've heard of any of these things, but like they followed people in China for 10 years. like what they ate and they had like all these comparisons and it was like a really good book. Um, like I read like how not to diet or not how not to diet, how not to die, which is, so it's pretty different. (laughs) Well, how not to diet is like a newer book based off of it. Oh, but, um, and I listened to all the lectures from like these plant-based doctors and watched all the documentaries I could find So yeah, I was like kind of similar. And there was a point at which I actually wanted to go back to school for, Mm. um, to be a dietary, a dietitian. Mm -hmm. But I, after like looking thoroughly into it and finding out like all the classes I would have to retake because I never took like biology type courses Mm. and that it was basically like becoming a doctor, except you don't get paid as much as a doctor. Uh So I was like, it doesn't really seem worth my while, but but um, but not just plant-based eating, but just in general, I've always kind of been like aware of just the way they treat food differently in the United States of America. Like they mm-hmm. sell us things here that are banned in other countries mm-hmm. and um, just the way that like the chemicals they spray affect us and our gut microbiome and Monsanto and, and like, but that's like another big giant industry. And I mean, it all, I feel like it all ties together with like corporate power and the way they market things to people. So to me, one thing leads to another, but yeah, I would say that like the whole plant environmental stuff and like plant-based eating is another area where I dive and get a little bit obsessed with learning about, about different things. Okay. And is, and is MMT like, you know, is that one of the bigger dives you've had in your life? Yeah, mm-hmm, definitely. Okay. I would say those two things are probably the two, other than like the actually like my businesses, because have like figuring out how to open your own business and dealing with the bureaucracy and all of that, like that's a dive on its own. It's mm. Like when we started, we didn't know what we were doing. If it wasn't for my significant other, he's like very brave. Mm. He'll, like he'll dive into something not knowing what he's doing and figure it out. I'm the type of person where like I kind of won't do it unless I'm sure that I know everything, which is why like I need him because he, if I waited for myself to know everything, I would never start. Mm -hmm. So learning from him, sometimes you just have to dive in and learn as you go. So that's, that's something I could get a credit to him. So I would say that those are the three, that those are the three big things that I've dived into is just, the being self-employment, the whole environmental plant-based eating, and then now the MMT. Wow. 
because I mean, I've been, I've been concerned for a long time about just the state of like the environment and not just like how clean the water is and stuff like that, but like just what is marketed to people to eat. And I, I see a lot of similarities between how things are marketed to people as far as like the environment and what we eat. And the same goes for kind of like what, how, what people think about like taxes. I feel like there's just like kind of like campaigns. It's, of- it's, it's elite in charge of stuff. They're making right. decisions where yep. if, if people were more in charge of stuff, like with a job guarantee, then these things would be much less of an issue because people Ex- would have power to stop them. Exactly. Even and it, Monsanto. Yep, exactly. It would affect, it would affect uh, like all aspects. Like I, like I was saying now, I feel like I realized that economics is really like something that affects all aspects of like anything that I care about. Hmm, interesting. All right. Well, that was great. Um, if there's anything you want to close out with, um, but that was great. No, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm happy that thank you for inviting me. It was, it's actually given me like a renewed sense of like excitement to be on the show and discuss what I've been learning. And, um, I didn't realize that I was, uh, I don't know. You say that like I've not ahead, but like I've done a lot for being so new and I didn't realize that, you know what I mean? I still feel like I don't know anything. You haven't which is, taken, this is the first time you've taken true. the time to look back at what you've done and you're surprised at how much it's been. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't feel like I did all that much, you know, but I guess it has been, uh, quite a dive for being such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But I plan on doing a lot more and I can't wait to like get through these books now so I can read some of those papers. So which <laughs> that's why I think feel like sometimes it's good to just like, you know, have a little pile of stuff hmm. that you have to get to. Well, that's great. I'm really excited that you um, uh, that you took my recommendation for Democracy and Chains. A very, that was a really nice surprise to hear you say that. Yeah, it's great. And I plan on passing that along too. my mom plans on reading it now and I have to give it to my friend. Cool. That's great. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. I will see you back on MNT for newbies. All right. See you there. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. So you wanted to add something on. So go for it. What did you want to say? So I wanted, I realized that we didn't really talk. I don't know if we talked at all about the job guarantee. And to me, it's, it's kind of the only policy that MMT advocates for. And it seems like kind of like a small thing that would make a, a really huge difference. And um, I read... The Case for a Job Guarantee, which is a book by Pavlina Cherneva, and it's really short, so it's really good for newbies. It's written in layman's terms. It talks about the job guarantee, which is um, a, a program that is the employer of last resort, and it was it was developed by Bill Mitchell when he was in Melbourne University because in, I believe, Australia the government would buy the overstock of wool to stabilize the price. And then when there wasn't enough wool, the government would sell the overstock to prevent inflation. And that's something that the government here can do with idle labor. So when there's unemployment, instead of paying people to do nothing, the government can employ them and give them meaningful work. And that would prevent a lot of problems. Right. So that's something that I wanted to touch on. A lot of uh, pushback against this is that people think like they have to do it and it would get rid of the regular unemployment for people that can't work and that it would be like centrally planned and all that's not true. That's a lot of the pushback that I hear on it, but Mm -hmm. it would be voluntary. So it's only if you want to work and you would get benefits 
it would be, you know, you would get enough, it would be enough minimally to live on, but not so much that it would draw people away from the private sector. So it's something that would expand when there's an economic downturn, when people are being laid off. And then when, when the economy is good again and the private sector starts to hire again, these are temporary jobs. So they would just pull people out of this program right back into the private sector. Mm-hmm. In my view, something like this would also take pressure off of state uh, governments, which are currency users, not currency issuers, because normally what happens when there's unemployment is the state has to pay the unemployment or at least a portion of it. Mm -hmm. This is going to be funded by the government. So if, if people are unemployed from the private sector, the government can pay for them to be employed in their own communities instead of the state having to pay for it. Mm -hmm. It's also something that will reduce the ripple effect of unemployment that, um, because when people become unemployed, they don't have the money to spend. Therefore other businesses start to suffer and they start to lay people off. Mm -hmm. So if you look at some of the charts in the book, you can see that it's similar to sort of like an epidemic or a pandemic. It starts, you know, in one spot and then it just keeps spreading out. Infectious. Yes. So by just moving people into a different form of employment, it will not only will it keep that ripple effect from happening, but it will also, it keeps people busy and out of trouble. Um, it reduces the power of having healthcare tied to private sector jobs as well. Cause there are people that maybe their job is abusive or it's the only job they could get. But the reason they keep it is because they need that healthcare. The job guarantee would also give them healthcare. So if they're in a job that they're treated badly or it's dangerous for them, they now have the opportunity where they can go and find like transitional work till they find a different job that will still provide them healthcare. Mm-hmm. But since it's not paying a lot of money, um, they'll still be incentivized to go back into the private se- sector. Mm-hmm. The other thing it does is it keeps people from getting rusty. So keeps people from, from getting what? From getting rusty, like rusty. Yeah, like uh, when you're not working, you kind of lose your skills. So having the job guarantee, when you're put out of work, you're not just sitting uh, sitting around watching TV. Mm-hmm. You're keeping your skill set sharp, and there's a lot of stigma around being unemployed. Employers don't normally want to hire unemployed people. They want to pull people that are already employed. Mm-hmm. And a good thing about the program is that it's supposed to be decentrally planned. So in each community, they're going to make a list of things that will benefit the community for people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is a superior inflation control mechanism <laughs> as we explained, because um, when the economy expands again, they, they can just pull the people out of the, the, the job guarantee. So they won't be competing uh, with prices because the government is paying them so so well that they don't want to go back to the private sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how did you discover this and why is it important to you? So I discovered this. Like, did you know about this before MMT? No, no, no. I've never heard of it before MMT. But although it's something that's been done in Argentina, they did it in India, they did it during the New Deal in the U.S., and they have a couple of localized programs in Albuquerque and Kansas. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I heard about it through um, after MMT, probably listening to the MMT podcast. That's mm-hmm. probably where I heard about it. I don't remember exactly when, but they, I heard the book mentioned a case for a job guarantee so mm-hmm. it, i got that it's only 30 pages so it's a quick read and well, it's, not th- it's like 100 pages but it's it's a very quick it? read though oh yeah. yeah it's a quick read it felt like 30 pages to me yeah no it's a quick read um so i read that and it makes perfect sense it seemed like when you read that and you're like it just makes you be like why aren't we doing this it just seems stupid we're paying people to do nothing we could be paying them to do something and keeping people out of trouble. And it's been shown that programs like this result 
and a reduction in crime. And that's one of the things that makes it important to me. I mean, there's a few reasons. Number one is the reduction in crime. Like I see people are frustrated because they're out of work and they feel left out and they are resorting to doing things either just out of frustration and anger or because they need to. And this is something that can help mitigate that effect, the crime. Not only that, but the mental health aspect of not feeling like you're contributing to society. Mm -hmm. This is something that can mitigate that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is something that can have a profound effect on the communities where it's implemented. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't quite understand it yet. I don't, I can't really totally wrap my head around it, but it's really awful um, how people criticize it that we, we can't have a job guarantee because that would be work or starve when it's exactly the opposite. We currently have work or starve because yes. we don't have an alternative to go to. Yes, exactly. I agree a hundred percent. That's what we currently have work or starve or you can collect unemployment, but it's not sufficient and it makes it just, leads to a bunch of other problems. And this isn't saying that if you're unable to work or you're past the age where you should be working, that you are going to be forced to work. There'll still be unemployment to take care of people who can't work. This is for people who are willing and able to work. Right. Right. Um, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. I just think it's, it's something that we need to get out there that is an option for us. I don't think a lot of people realize this is an option because with MMT comes the realization that the government can buy the idle resources and the idle resources are people not working. Right. Wool can be stored in a shed and doesn't need to be paid while it's being stored, but people can't that that's like the interesting, how it was twisted. Like, to be able to take that, you know, an inanimate object being stored in a shed for hard times and to change that to for people who, you know, what's what's the equivalent of storing them in a shed? Because that obviously doesn't work. And, you know, it's just really kind of interesting how it came to be. It is interesting. Interesting. I mean, I feel like what they do right now is, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of like they store them in a shed, but people are meant to be stored in a shed. Well, yeah. <laughs> kind of. That's what we currently have. Yeah. 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 So we treating have to, people like potatoes, treating yeah. people like wool. Now we have to treat them like people. Right. Yeah. And people need to feel like they're a meaningful part of society. And if they don't, there's all type of um, criminal and mental ailments that are going to develop as a result. And it's not that this is, that's not what this is meant to do. That's just one of the great side effects of it. It's just meant to transition people from the private sector, from the public sector back to the private sector with, when um, the economy, you know, fluctuates, which it does, which it's going to do. But mm -hmm. that's just a given. We know that now that the economy is going to fluctuate. And this is just a, a stabilizer, an automatic stabilizer where we don't need to worry about Congress getting together and voting whether or not they want to give out the money. It's just something you can put in place. These jobs will be determined by the communities. And as soon as there's an economic downturn, those people can go right into a, a public sector job to carry them over and keep them sharp and keep them out of trouble and keep their mental health in a, in a good state until they find work again in the private sector. Right. Okay. Um, if there's anything else you want, you know, newbies basically to know um, any, uh, before we get off. No, I think I've said it. I think I've said what I wanted to say. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, our conversation and uh, I will add this on to the end. And thanks for talking again. My pleasure. Have a great day. All right. See you later. Bye. for this show is by Rectech. 
You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape-A-Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus, then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all of the final processing in the Reaper digital audio workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online headliner app. Today is part two of my two-part conversation with first-year MMT activist Katrina Pilver about how she discovered the importance of economics and then MMT in her unusually intensive and ambitious journey to learn MMT more deeply. At the end of our interview, you will hear a brief follow-up where, given that she's only been at this for around five months, she gives a pretty sophisticated summary of the MMT Design Job Guarantee and why she believes it's important for newbies to understand. A full introduction, including links to lots of resources, can be found before Part 1. But for now, let's get right back to my conversation with Katrina Pilver. <laughs> 